Hey everyone, welcome back to TV Guys, where we talk about that 70s show, or meaning the other one. My name's Matt. I'm Brian. I'm Don. And we have a special guest. We've got another first-time guest. So a couple weeks ago, if you listened to our episode about 1960 television, you got to hear my dad be on the show. Well, now we've got Brian's dad. And so, Don, you're here with us. You are uh, a, pro- a kind of a product of the 70s, but you were there before the 70s came around. Uh, but what before we jump into some shows, what are some TV shows, just so we get a feel for what you like and your TV palette, what are some TV shows that are some of your favorites? Uh, some of my favorites are, are um, uh um, Mash and uh, Happy Days and uh, Cheers, and uh, another one that I that I, I like. I think it's an '80s show, or maybe might be '90s, but it's uh, uh, Mad About You. There you go. If you ever watched that the 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 episode there, uh, Giblets for Mur- Mur- Murray with the yeah. dog, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, I remember a couple of years ago at Thanksgiving, we was at your house and we. Like the whole family after they after we ate just sat and watched that episode. Yes, because how many how many turkeys did they go back and buy? At least three, maybe four or five. It's been a while since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I mad about you wasn't ever a show that I got into, but I saw a number of episodes because like it would be on in syndication, we'd see it, and I really like Paul Reiser. Like I like I like Helen Hunt too, but I mm-hmm. think Paul Reiser is just really underutilized i think he's, he's yeah. one of those actors that when he pops up i'm like yeah it's paul riser it's gonna be good like i really liked him and he had a re- recent resurgence in uh, stranger things yep and uh he got to be the bad guy in aliens so that was fun very very against his type i don't know like timeline of how established he was in his acting career but like the paul riser i know now is very different from the paul riser villain of aliens and I'm like that doesn't that doesn't track with the sort of role that yeah. he takes typically. He yeah. he's, he ended up being a Seinfeld type uh, uh, person in basically writing the show about his life. Nice. <laughs> and that a lot of people have followed that uh, formula there over the years, but Seinfeld did it the best, probably. Yeah, Seinfeld, Mad About You, Ellen, um, and even uh, now the Goldbergs, Ray, Ray Romano. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, So let's jump into we are talking about TV shows right out of the 1970s. So we've got a good amount of them. We got a number of them, too, that started in the 60s and just worked their way through the 70s. And maybe we even mentioned last week. Um, But we'll just start off on one of the best shows because, Don, you mentioned it. And this is just a top tier 1970s show. And that's MASH. And so, Matt, why don't you give us your thoughts about MASH? And I'll I'll talk about it after that. Well, you know, it, it, it was set in a war setting, Korean War, and, um, you know, and uh, I, I liked it because it was both funny, funny and, they, and they got more and more socially conscious as they went along. Um, yeah, you know, especially they, with the <laughs> Vietnamese War as the backdrop for the current time that they were, yeah, it was mm-hmm. on the air. Yeah, they, uh, they uh, very much... Uh, did not like the the killing that happens in war, and uh, it went that way, and it, and it, uh, it just affected the people on there. And you know, um, for the longest time, I didn't know how Frank Burns had left the show, 
And uh, mm-hmm. when uh, did uh, Charles Emerson Winchester show up? You know, I didn't know that difference. Um, uh, of course, it's a memorable show. There was the one where um, McLean Stevenson or Colonel, is that Colonel Blake? Colonel Henry, Henry and Harry, Colonel Henry Blake. Blake. Yeah, I think it's Henry Potter. Something Blake, I forget. Anyway, how he left the show, his plane was shot down as he was leaving the the place. Yeah. The, I, I remember my, my parents have talked about that moment too. Cause like that was a big moment in mash too of uh, yeah. him go, like he was going home. Right. And then yes, he doesn't yeah. make it home. And right. he's he, like, does, he doesn't, doesn't even make it out of the continent. Yeah. Like how could you have done that to such a beloved character? How could that be their send off? Yeah. Yeah. These, they, these, these shows in the seventies started doing a lot of things with their characters. Um, they, they went off and they, they, they worked off of, yeah, I think, I think it sounds like I think Mash was kind of also the set the stage for Scrubs a year later, where it's can be really funny and really deep depending on the episode or even within yeah. the same episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so much of that I, I felt like fell in like the hands of Alan Alda. He does mm-hmm. such a good job as Hawkeye, and he's very much like a happy-go-lucky type character. Always has like a glib line for something. Always has a little bit of a prank up his sleeve, and then there's these moments that just he can't walk away from and he has these moments of conscience throughout the show the 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 uh um their uh what's what's with authority i can't they're they're poking fun at authority is something mm-hmm. that a lot of people in the 70s really related to and oh, yeah. uh, it was on in syndication for a while after that too but that's mm-hmm. something that people a lot of people uh uh glommed onto yeah and mash is a show that's really stood the test of time there would be even people our age who weren't even alive during mash who are super super big mash fans like um our friend who's been on the podcast mike i know he is a huge mash guy yeah and mash is one of those shows too that it it exceeded the expectations of its of the thing that inspired it because it was based on there's a movie that was based off the book from the 1960s but the movie mash with donald sutherland and elliot gould that was the third highest grossing movie of 1970 and so with the success of mash they and it even won an oscar for the best adapted screenplay and it was nominated for best picture and nominated for a couple other things and so with the success of that movie they launched this tv show and the tv show i think people are so much more familiar with the show than they are even with the movie oh yeah one thing one thing about the 70s shows that i've noticed is that they are much more character driven Mm -hmm. you know the the characters are extreme and they're either you know either way you look at it they're they're very extreme and um it's just uh not not so much the storyline but the characters bring out the storyline yeah. yeah, and when we talk about Mash, it's impossible for me to talk about Mash without even bringing up the finale because this show had one of the strongest season or series finales of all time and the most watched. I think even still to this day, where is like eighty some million households watched that, and and I thought were, it was a hundred some, but anyway, it was a lot. <laughs> You're right. It, it was a lot. It was like it broke all these records for like, especially the percentage of households that had mash on at the time. And there's even stories that came out of New York City for their sanitation department that within three minutes of the episode ending, 77% of all toilets in New York City flushed 
because all these people <laughs> held their bladders for two and a half hours of this finale and waited to the end and went and it caused this huge sanitation problem all at once. And, and I heard that that uh, I don't I don't know if it, it was a seventies thing, but uh, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson they uh, they built into the sewer systems and that at a flush time shortly after Johnny finished his monologue. Yeah. <laughs> so that I, Brian, I think that's an episode we need to do a, t- a conversation about sometime is that mash finale. Cause it's, it's so iconic. Yeah. I, I'd be down for that. You know, we're talking about the seventies. I think one of my personal favorites that I caught, I caught for a while uh, when I was a teenager on uh, Nick at night was uh three's company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because that was a little bit edgy at the time, but you watch it back now and it's like something that's on TV now is, is, is way edgier. And I think it, that show just hinged on the two different things. There's there's um John Ritter's physical comedy. He always knew how to fall and make it funny. And then also just all the misunderstandings. It's like there's always someone hears something going on in another, in another room. They think it's something inappropriate going on and they bust in. It's like, oh no, I'm just baking a cake or, or something. And it's and that kind of, uh, misunderstanding and and uh, and that is is that kind of humor over and over and over again, basically. Yeah. And and frankly, don't underestimate Susan. Uh, what's her last name? Summers. Su- Suzanne, Suzanne Summers. Summers. Yes. Yeah, she was a huge part of of that po- the popularity of that show. Yeah, because yeah, she was one of the last ones cast of of that main cast at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That she was shortly before the pilot. They finally cast her because they were like, "We don't have someone for." And I forget the character she played. We don't have she... someone for this character. Yeah, and uh, so then the the showrunner uh, Fred Silverman he was looking through audition tapes and he came across Suzanne Summers' tape. He's like, "Why have I not seen this?" Like he completely missed the audition tape. It was like. We ne- and he went to all these producers like, why have we not cast her? And no one had a good reason. And he's like, we need to give her a shot. So between her and then also John Ritter, like after they cast her, then then it was like right before the pilot. And they're like, wait, are we sure about John Ritter? And they almost like went back to the drawing board with him <laughs> like a week before or day before the pilot. But they yeah. stuck with it. And she wasn't on the show the whole time, but they, and eventually she oh. left the show and they got somebody in else, but it wasn't the same after her. Yeah. But, but, and, and the thing is, I mentioned, don't, don't forget her. Yeah. She knew her importance. The reason she left the show is she asked for a big raise. You know, John Ritter was the main guy. He got the big money. She wanted as much money as John Ritter. And when they wouldn't give it to her, she uh, said, bye-bye. Yeah. Well, the, what did the other girl, <laughs> I forget her name. Did she, Ask for more money or was, was it? No, yeah. she didn't. She didn't. Okay. So I wonder if they went together as a unit and said, you pay us both or we're both leaving. Do you think they would have just fired both of them? Because that'd be kind of jarring to have, have uh, both your females leave. I don't know if they would have fired both of them. I don't know if they could have got away with that. But uh, I think, uh, I I don't know. I I, I think that might have just ended the show if they, if they both did it. Yeah. Well, well then they did a spinoff, right? Didn't the ropers, know? the ropers. That's what the ropers. Yeah, mm-hmm. they had a yeah. couple different, different, uh, different uh, Su- um, Suzanne uh, Summers uh, characters, but it was never the same. Yeah, they they had, they, they, they cycled in some some different blondes, but I don't remember her, remember them that and, much. And then of course there's Don Knotts. Yeah, but he he you know he pops up shortly after. I, I, was there an overlap with Don Knotts and Suzanne Summers? Because he comes later. He's like in the fourth se- season or something like that. I don't recall. 
you know, in um, John Ritter's show in the 2001, he died during Eight Simple Rules. Back when he was still on the show, they did a whole episode where it was um, an homage to Three's Company. And they rebuilt the set of Three's Company, like, exactly for, like, a Dream Sweep sequence and have John Ritter's character be like, this looks familiar. And, like, they basically is the whole episode about that show. And then at the very end, it was another Dream Sequence where he woke up with an even elderly at the time, Don Knotts. And I think that was like one of Don Knotts' final TV appearances was his guest appearance in a dream sequence of that of, of Eight Simple Rules with John Ritter. Nice. Another another show that did that was Newhart and, and the Newhart show, the Bob oh, Newhart yeah. show. Yep. And they had the first show on there, and then they had the second show on there, and they were ending it. And the, you know, the, the screen went dark and, and all that. And all of a sudden he woke up in the bedroom of the first show with Suzanne Plissett, who was his wife in the first show. And, you know, people just went nuts. He talked about these three woodsmen, you know, that were that were there all the time. That was Daryl and Daryl and Daryl, right? <laughs> and yeah. my other brother, Daryl. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah, Newhart was a great show, but it, I do find it funny that you mentioned Three's Company right after MASH, because you know the connection, right? You uh, Actually, you probably don't. That's I'm going to give a flex here. Um, but when they could were... Could be one of your trivia questions. It could have been. Uh, but when they were uh, creating Three's company you know because it, it, it's based off of a we think of nowadays like all these british shows that turn into american shows they've been doing it since the 70s series company is a british show formerly like a man a man about the house is what it was based off of and so when they're bringing it to america they wanted to change it up and fred silverman was like unsure about how the midwest audiences would respond to this and so he went to uh to larry gelbert who was the creator and the producer of mash and he's like, I don't know if we've got a good show here. Can you help? And Larry Gilbert helped like really retool the pilot and then handed it off to uh, Don Nickel and Michael Ross and Bernie West, who were all actually writers for the original British show. And Ooh. they're the ones who took it over from there. Cool. And then they changed it more to like the farce side of it, of what you guys are talking about, of all the misunderstandings. And like, I think it'll play more for this. And that's probably a good decision. And so... Larry Gilbert helped retool that and gave it some new life that made it happen. Okay, I was just thinking another, another show that of the seventies that was really important to me was Happy Days. Yeah. Now I went to college at at uh, Augsburg College, and you know between you know, fall of seventy four to spring of seventy eight, and they had like, um, uh, for lack of a better term, it was a, the break room. They called it the chin wag. Everybody would bring their lunches there, get their lunches, bring it into this room, and we'd sit around and watch TV. The show that was always on was Happy Days. And so we all we all got a, a double, triple dose of Happy Days every day uh, at, the, at the chin wag at Augsburg College. And also with Happy Days is this, this, the uh, spinoffs that came off the show. Um, if you look at the list of the top 20 shows in uh, in the in the 70s or most influential, you'll find Happy Days. You'll find one of their spinoffs, which was Mork and Mindy. Mork first made his appearance. Mork as Robin Williams as Mork made his first appearance on Happy Days when he when he had a Hattie Tacker with uh, Fonzie at Mel at Mel's Diner or mm-hmm. uh, or what is he, the other guys the other the Japanese guys. Anyway, he had that there, and then of course there was the spinoff there of Laverne and Shirley, and uh, that yeah. was also uh, a top show in the seventies. Independent females. 
And was there also Joni Loves Chachi? Wasn't that yeah. from Happy Days? Yes, it was. But it was it wasn't listed in the top twenty there, so I, I didn't see I didn't recall that. But yeah, that was there too. It was funny when I was a kid, uh, I would catch um, Happy Days on like TV Land or Nick and Ed or one of those shows, and it took me a little bit to realize that it was a period show because you know for me, you know, a kid growing up in the nineties. Everything in the past just kind of blends together. Like, oh, 50s, oh, 70s, it's all the same. But like, no, it's not the same. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way about MASH when I was watching it, and especially because it was out the same time as the Vietnam War. So I always was like, oh, this is the Vietnamese War. And it's like, no, it was the Korean War 20 years prior. But yeah. I mean, it's the same time difference as that 20 mm-hmm. years before. Yeah, and the thing is, uh, technology wasn't moving as fast then as it was now. So a lot of things True. that... That they had in the the in the mass show were still being used in the Vietnamese or in the Vietnamese War. Yeah, and I think Happy Days is one of those shows too that you can point to of its success because of, like you said, the influences it had for spinoffs, but also of what it really did for a couple people in the cast and creator Gary Marshall. What it really did for their careers, like Gary Marshall wasn't a no name he did the odd couple and he was a big part of that and and putting that on but gary marshall like after happy days he pretty much had a blank check do whatever you want we're gonna you obviously know what you're doing we want to do your passion projects and he was able to do some like great even movies like princess diary or um sorry yeah princess diaries he did do princess diaries but i meant uh pretty women and like um beaches and overboard some, and like, and, and uh, is is it was Penny Marshall his sister or his wife? His sister, yeah. His sister. She she was Lauren. Yeah, yeah. And when I think of Happy Days, I think it sets so many character archetypes that have gone on, like uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cunningham. I think were set the stage for a lot of future, you know, family parents in the future, especially Mrs. Cunningham being like Mrs. C, like the the mom, like a, a, a very like prototypical mom. And of course, I mean, you can't beat. Fonzie as like the, the cool guy and I think he was the the standard for the cool guy for years and Henry Winkler to this day he's still known as Fonzie first and I think he embraces it he's not like oh don't call me Fonzie he's like yeah that was me yeah I mean yeah. sure he definitely has some great roles of like on Arrested Development or now oh, yeah. the TV show Barry he's definitely getting the credit where credit is due but you, you look at him first and foremost he is Fonzie for sure yeah. wasn't he the producer of like the MacGyver series he might have been I don't know I know, he, I know he wasn't the main star of that show, but he, I think he worked behind the cameras on that. Also, people really... And, and I, speaking I, of behind the cameras, of course, Ron Howard. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. You know, started out as Opie in the, in the Andy Griffith show. Then he was Richard Cunningham there, and he's become a, a top-notch, you know, director for, for movies. You're you know, right about Winkler and, um, and MacGyver. Huh. What's that? I, I am? Yep. Speaking of Henry Winkler and, and Fonzie, so I was watching some old Happy Days clips uh, this past week, and you know everyone talks about that scene in Fresh Prince, the "Why doesn't he want me?" where Will's dad literally left him, and he's emotional about that. There's almost like an identical scene in Happy Days where I was watching where Fonzie's dad shows up, but he doesn't tell him it's his dad. He's saying like, "This is a letter from your dad," and, and you know, and then afterwards, after the guy leaves. He reads the letter and it says, this is in case I don't have the guts to tell you that it was me who gave you the letter. And he has the same thing where he's in front of the Cunningham family. And he says, like, well, he left when I was three. Why would I ever want him? And it's just the same energy as that Fresh Prince episode, which is now much more talked about. Well, again, again, it might have been the Fresh Prince was copying that that episode. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they were. Because I didn't know about that Fonzie episode until this week when I saw that clip. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely it does influence pop culture. Happy Days 100% did. In fact, it also influenced it in a negative way because it was on for over 10 seasons. And so, you know, it went from 74 to 84. And so with 255 episodes, you're going to start running out of ideas. So, of course, one of the infamous things that people think of with Happy Days is Jump the Shark. And that became such a phrase of like the show has gone past its prime and it's at a point when it just needs to get sent out to pasture and put down. Yeah. In fact, early on, we did did a whole episode about Jump the Shark um, episodes of different shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then and I guess I guess Happy Days actually got decent ratings after the Jump the Shark episode. But, uh, you know, (laughs) you know, just the hatred, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is is it so bad of me to say, though, we talked about Ron Howard and behind the camera. I don't know if there's any really like Ron Howard directed movies that I enjoy. You didn't like the, was it Apollo 11? Did that one? 13. It it was fine. Like, I feel like I've seen better space stuff than that, but I also watched that. Like I watched it when I was a a young kid and it was like too slow for a young kid. And then I went a long time without watching it again. And then in the meantime, I saw all these other space epics and like, I think I saw it even after The Martian, which I thought is a really, really good space movie. Mm-hmm. And so when you compare a 1990s movie to a current movie, then that, that's unfair to the 1990s movie. So that well, maybe is. I love me. The Grinch with Jim Carrey, and that was a Ron Howard movie. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that's fair. But to me, I, I do attribute that to Jim Carrey. I, I guess the production I value of it is really good. Like he does a great job of making the Whoville come to life. Yeah. You know, there was one day on set where Ron Howard went through all of the makeup and did uh, and, and prosthetics and directed as the Grinch himself for one day of filming. <laughs> I think the best Ron Howard vehicle after Happy Days was Arrested Development. I know he I don't think he did too much directing on that. He was just like executive producer. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big Arrested Development fan, as you may tell. So uh, when there's two there's two family shows in the 70s that I think that we haven't talked about yet that are like quintessential that people think of when they think the 70s. And so one of them is obviously um, the Brady Bunch. I don't think you could talk about 70s without mentioning the Brady Bunch. Yeah, and I think the Brady Bunch is really special for the 70s because if you look at the, the political climate of the 1970s, it was very progressive. There was a lot of stuff that was happening in the 70s and a lot like after the civil rights movement happened and there is this new wave of female empowerment as well. There was just a lot that was going on of being fed up with a system like, you know what? We don't have to lick the boots of the government. We don't have to do the what has always been done. We can think different. We don't have to have twin beds for the parents. That's yes. <laughs> and Brady Bunch was unique in the fact of that it was like it was completely devoid of that. There's a lot of other shows we talk about that hit on those hot button issues of the day. Brady Bunch didn't do that. It was apolitical. Well, so, I've heard that at 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 its core, the Brady Bunch was designed to be. Um, uh, a vehicle for Ann B. Davis, uh, the, the maid, Alice, huh. the maid. Really? Yeah. Because it was always, I mean, in the credits, there was always and Ann B. Dal- Ann B. Davis as Alice, and she would pop up in the middle square. So they kind of, they did feature her a little bit. Mm-hmm. So one so, thing I didn't realize um, about Brady Bunch, and Don, maybe you can speak more to this, is that when it was on, before syndication, that it really kind of got panned. It didn't have these big numbers. No. It wasn't well-reviewed. No, it it wasn't. It was it was like 
uh, too too perfect. I mean, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You know, she was thought of as, as too perfect. You know, and the and the other kids were were you know, there was not really not really a mischief maker, a troublemaker among the kids. Yeah. You know? no. So <laughs> that 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 was probably why it got. It, it 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 by doing that it kind of lacked a lacked a villain lacked a a, a reason to get uh, you know to to cheer against somebody yeah. and maybe it was that five years too late of a show to really be big but somehow it got massive in syndication it really picked up yeah. its yes. its weight of cultural influence through the syndication starting in September of 1975 and, 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 and don't discount the theme song on that one oh yeah oh, no. for sure <laughs> you know because uh, th- there was there was a, a a couple at our church. Uh, the husband died, and then the the wife ended up remarried, remarrying. She had four kids. He had four kids, and they played the uh, Brady Bunch theme as they were coming down the aisle, married at their wedding. So, and, and also, what a question I have about this, and I'm not, I haven't seen every episode, so maybe so, Dad, maybe you know this. It's about a blended family. Do they ever address what happened to the original? father and 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 mother of of the the kid of the the, them um i don't know i don't know i seem to remember one of them died and and one of them was divorced okay because in like the similar which i don't remember if that is actually true nor who was which yeah because i remember i watched through the the step-by-step which was like in the 90s kind of the similar uh thing was a blended family and there was one time in the whole series series where they mention um, the dad's ex-wife and they never ever mentioned the wife's ex-husband once in the whole series they never even not, not even in a passing which is like the thing is you I think of, with a blended family one that uh that one of the parents the ex-parents would show up to for a kid's event or to pick up the kids or to leave presents for the kid or birthday parties something like they would show up for something so it makes you wonder you know what happened that uh, that you never heard from the, these parents previously, or yeah. in shows. I think they lampshade it a little bit in the movie. That isn't canon. The movie, of course, is a is a satire of the Brady Bunch. Um, but that they there is something I don't remember them too much. But I remember at the end, like the last frame of the movie is like um, the his former wife, like Mike Brady, his former wife shows up or something like that. Um, they do that in the movie. I don't know. They they, uh, they they probably would have had to do that with Mike Brady because, of course, the character that played him or the actor that played him was gay. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't either. They, they 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 kept it under wraps very very well there. As was Gomer Pyle, by the way. Gomer Pyle. When, when I think of Brady. When you think of Brady Bunch, what's one of the episodes that pops to mind? Because I feel like it can be one of two that are like a really popular episode. I think I think the one where where Marsha got the football in the yep. face. That's what I'm thinking. And, That's what I thought. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly. So that's the subject was noses. No, no I, and, and I've heard that in, in filming that. Uh, uh, Maureen McCormick. Their names. Marsha Brady and Greg Brady ended up with a huge crush on each other, and they almost couldn't do scenes together without it, without everybody knowing that. And I didn't, I didn't catch that at all. It, you know, it went over my head at the time, but uh, apparently that was a problem near the end. 
the other episode that I think of is from season three, episode 12, getting Davy Jones. Because Davy Jones, this big heartthrob back then, oh, yeah. and the big special guest, Keith they Partridge. actually bring him on. What'd you say? Keith Partridge. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so I, I remember that episode because like, I watched one of these episodes where it had like those little bubbles that pop up, like the information about the episode. And one of the bubbles was keeping track of how many times they said the name Davy Jones in that episode. And <laughs> I think it hit like 30 something. Yeah. That's like, that's one per minute at least. He was one of the yeah, monkeys, well, right? Yeah, I remember yes. factoring the commercials. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they had, had they did things like that, but that sounds like a drinking game. You know, take a shot at whenever they make this <laughs> And, and then, fun fact is that that getting Davy Jones episode actually had uh, so had actress Tina Andrews as one of the one of Marsha's classmates, the first black person on Breaking Bad. Or Breaking Bad. I wrote BB here, and that's immediately where my brain goes on Brady Bunch. Yeah, I understand that they brought in a, a young guy uh, cousin uh, to kind of spice things up around the end, and it just, it didn't go well. I don't, cousin Oliver, right? Yeah, Oliver. Yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking that, that was his name. I think that was the start of the the trend where you have a family show that's gone on long enough, then the little kid of the show is kind of older and not like a cute little kids. So they have to get a new, cuter kid to kind of fill that role. <laughs> I know they did that on the Cosby show when Rudy started to get old. They brought in Raven to be the younger yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. That's so Raven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What's the other family show, Brian? Um, all in the family. We all kind of go the opposite. Gotta ways. be. Yes. Boy, polar opposite show. Reality yes. TV, bringing reality TV to prime time. Yeah. And it's interesting because like in, in reality, Harold O'Connor is like in his political views and just how he is, is so much opposite from how Archie Bunker was. Like he was putting on a parody of of like this staunch, like stuck stuck in his ways guy. And I think that's a great way to go about it for that time period of there were a number of people that were in that sort of camp around that time oh, yeah. that still had not settled into the new the new revolution after the the civic rights marches and everything. And so yeah. to have this character be a mirror for those people and then to also have his son-in-law who is more on the head rob reiner on the like liberal and progressive side and to be like hey there's value to this but at the same time like i think that they did something really well with it too that even though he would say some terrible things and that especially by today's standards that they did this easing it into it. So it was like, there were times that he was right, not about maybe race stuff, but that he wasn't always like the wrong side of something. I felt like it was very, now that I think about it, it was very similar to like last man standing for current day. Oh yeah. He's got his son-in-law that like both that and, and his black neighbor actually Yeah, that they, he influences them. And they Jefferson's. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, the, and 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 that show was one of the first ones. Uh, I don't know if they like this distinction or not. First ones to feature a toilet flush on the show. Of course, it was off camera. You know, you you know, you use a yeah. little room off room off the living room or the kitchen or whatever. Was that I mean the Jeffersons or All in the Family? All in the Family. Yeah, and I haven't seen a ton of All in the Family, but the one that always comes to mind is the scene of Archie and Meathead arguing over how you put on your socks and shoes. Yes, yeah. Right, right, left, left, right, left, right, left. You know, who puts on a sock and then a shoe? You put on a sock and then you put the other sock on. And I mean, yeah, I'm with Archie. Like that's how I do it. But I wouldn't get so angry about it if someone did it the other way. Yeah, 
And then there was the the time where where um, for some reason or other, Sammy Davis Jr. ended up visiting them and giving Archie a kiss at the end. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Which I mean, knowing Carol, how Carol O'Connor was, he probably was all for that behind the scenes. Oh yeah. It's funny that actually, you know, we talked about Rob Reiner being in that role, but that role I think was originally offered to Harrison Ford, who decided not to go for it because he really couldn't stomach Archie's views in the show. Uh, Richard Dreyfus also auditioned for that role, but I don't think he was ever made the offer. And so I think mm-hmm. Rob Reiner was number two. Yeah. And he does a great job, and I'm glad that he made it because then he goes on to other big stuff like Princess Bride and some other great movies from there. I and think then, Harrison uh, Ford would have been too for cool. a, a lot of these shows in the 70s, they couldn't be made today because no. they are so politically incorrect. They got characters in them that are so politically incorrect that it would just, it, it would not go well at all. And then one more thing about All in the Family. You have to mention All in the Family when it comes to the great, all the great TV show theme songs. To the point where Family Guy's theme song is a straight parody of this theme song true you know there's a lot of good theme songs that came out of like the 60s and 70s like gilligan's island did you know that you can sing amazing grace oh yeah gilligan's island theme song when the first time you do it and actually hear it it just no that that's not right yeah but um you had mentioned just a couple minutes ago too of like saying this is this is a show that couldn't get made today and like I, I think you're right but when you look at to that time period in order to mock and sat and satirize I guess is the I don't know if that's the right word um this the sort of negative mind and the that sort of thinking that of the racist thinking of the late 60s and early 70s that you had to like address and you had to have a character embody that personality and so i i think you're right but like the needle has just moved so much in our culture from back then yet there are some movies like to me i think blazing saddles is one that people have said oh it couldn't get made today i'm like i I think it still could i think maybe there's a chance it could but it definitely is pushing a little thing come through on on uh, facebook and they said They've, they've made it an edited and politically correct version of uh, Blazing Saddles. It will be shown between 8 o'clock and 8.07 tonight. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and you're right. The, the reason is, in, in, in my mind, is that there's just too many people out there wanting to be offended. They're literally begging to be offended. And that's why you have to be so careful with all these things, and, you know. Yeah. Because you're making fun of the the racist ideas. You're not making fun of the people that racism is targeting. You're not making fun of black people, but making fun of racism. And so, like, I I can get and I can understand that people, like, when they hear those words out of someone's mouth, like, it doesn't matter if it's being sarcastic for them and or, like, making fun of it. It can hurt to hear that because it brings up those thoughts. But to me, I'm like, but if we laugh at that, it kind of takes away its power, in my opinion. Yeah. So, but then again, I'm not black. People are laughing nowadays. (laughs) That's also possible. They're 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 dialing the phone. They're getting on Twitter. They're, you know, they're you know, just all offended, canceling cancel culturing them. Well, and their 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 offense is now easily spread. Yes. Yes. Now another good show that uh, for the seventies that that was something just entirely new was uh, 
the Saturday Night Live, SNL. Yeah, that was on my list. The too. original cast was the best, period. And they are the best. You know. I, I love that joke early on of Chevy Chase. The good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not like yes. the that's weekend a fantastic. Yeah. You, you, you look back at all the great comics that did that Saturday Night Live uh, up weekend update, and it's impressive. But yeah, that was the first one. You know, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Jane, you ignorant slut. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Chevy that's Chase, right. Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, John Belushi. Gilda Radner, like that. I, I think, I think I agree. That is like the best lineup. Maybe and follow closely. Garrett Morris too. Yep. Followed closely yep. by like the Adam Sandler, Chris Farley era would probably be the second most. I, I do like that era. Am I correct in remembering that Dan Aykroyd wasn't a cast member, but just a recurring? I think that guest? was Chevy Chase. I thought that was Bill Murray. Just <laughs> 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 flip one a coin. Them, one of them showed up as a as a as a guest host a couple times, and then they got on the show. As a regular, yeah, and that's a show. I mean, like I said, it's it's the format. It's still on today, and it's like all you do is cycle through. Like, how many great movie stars have have come out of Saturday Night Live? Like a ton of them. Yeah, the Blues Brothers is probably the best, and things like that. Yeah, that's one of my all time favorite movies. I love that movie. And then they, they from God. Yeah, they should have never made a sequel without without John Belushi. <laughs> I know, I know, but that, that you know. That that's that movie, you you look back at all the the top named stars that you got. Oh in yeah, there, you, you know? got Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles and James Brown and John Lee Hooker. Like everybody was in that movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was just and and, I and, and, I, and, I, and I swear I I don't know who it was, who it actually was, but in one of the backup scenes, it looks like Jeff Lynn from ELO is is playing backup guitar in one of those. <laughs> Uh, so you're right, Don. Bill Murray replaced Chevy Chase, who didn't. I knew that Chevy Chase didn't last long on that show because Chevy Chase just does not work with anyone. And yeah. I don't think I think Lorne Michaels' ego is too big to have someone like Chevy Chase on for longer than a season or two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, Chevy it's... Chase was close with um, the one of the main founders of National Lampoons, and it's really like SNL like stole all of these National Lampoons actors and took them to SNL and kind of left him in the dust and caused him to have depression. And then he actually went through this. This is a really sad story, though, how this is turning out, is that he went through this bender, like, on drugs with Chevy Chase, and he killed himself. And Chevy Chase was one of the last people who saw him alive. Who's that? Um, One of the founders of National Lampoons. Oh. No, okay. And, you know, as a transition transition from SNL, you know – what was um, a feature on SNL only in the first season and just was not a good, good mix was um, Jim Henson and like the Muppets, but it wasn't Kermit and them. It was like the land of Gorch. There's like these weird, like adult, weird, creepy gargoyle type creatures. And it was just yeah. not a good fit. And the cast hated it. They called it, they called them the mucking puppets. Jeez. <laughs> I guess John Belushi was like the most outspoken hating them. And like, but then right after that, that was 1975, 1976, Jim Henson found his own success with the Muppet show that actually was a success. But yeah, they just, they, they tried their hand at SNL and it just wasn't, it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, some of the best, best uh, 
uh, skits on there, the Bassomatics, and then they got the Coneheads on there, and mm-hmm. then they got uh, Emily Latella, never mind, and Rosanna, Rosanna Dana. It's always something. That was you know, Gilda Radner, right? I believe I, I, I Rosanna, Rosanna Dana. Yes, I believe it was Gilda Radner, and she might have been uh, Emily Latella too. My mom would constantly bring up the Land Sharks. Yes, she would talk about that as her favorite skit on there. I think you guys remember like it was ten, it was only already almost eight years ago in 2015 they did a big 40th year anniversary special they brought back like all these cast members like they had um, Dan Aykroyd doing the bass bassomatic and for some of the cast members that passed away like they had um, actually had Melissa McCarthy doing the Chris Farley motivational speaker they had I think it was Emma, <laughs> Emma Stone being Roseanne Rosanna Dana in in place of Gilda Radner I think they had John Belu- or Jim Belushi replacing John Belushi for the Blues Brothers. So they found a way to incorporate was, even the what was the, the diner skit? Cheeburger, cheeburger, cheeburger. You know, not to be confused with when John Goodman replaced John Belushi as the Blues Brother. <laughs> That's true. You know the move, the music he, in the he sense. was a, a police officer in the first one, if I recall. Was he was? He? I think so. Huh. No, that yeah, that was John. No, that was John Candy. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Was like, one of the big guys there? Yeah, yeah. John Candy, what an actor. Yeah. Well, then, so I mentioned earlier, um, obviously, we all we all know in the show that I talk about the Muppets a lot, but we're talking about the 70s. And that was the the height of the Muppets fame. And I mean, you can't you can't discount the Muppet show, which was, uh, again, its own cultural juggernaut. And if Jim Henson hadn't decided to end it in 81, that it's a possibility that could have gone on for decades and maybe even could still be on today. Yeah. Well, except for the fact that John that John Henson, Jim Henson has died. Also, Jim Henson's son, John, also died, too. So that would have still been a correct statement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think you're absolutely right. Like, when you talk about the 70s, the Muppets, that's their heyday. Sure, they had a bit of a resurgence in the 90s as they're, like, in memory of Jim Henson and also Richard Hunt when he died. In memory of them, we're going to push forward. We're going to do some some new things. And they had Christmas Carol and they had um, Treasure Treasure Island. Island, And they had – didn't they have a show in the 90s, too? Muppets Tonight, yeah. Yeah, so they really were like pushing to revisit that and relaunch them, and it yeah. it worked a little bit. But I think like what Muppets in Space probably killed it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole other conversation. But um, with the Muppet Show, at, at first it wasn't as like the huge juggernaut it was, and at the beginning it was kind of a struggle to get guest stars. They they always wanted to make sure their guests were taken care of. Like whatever you want to do, you want to do a scene with this character, you want to be with Gonzo Miss Piggy, that's fine, and then. Over like the next couple of years, it just grew and grew to where by the time the show ended, it was like a, they had all the A-name celebrities were like, we want to be on the show. We want to be on the show. And it was like a, a mark of your success if you got to be a guest on The Muppet Show. Mm-hmm. And that only took five years to get from point A to point B there. I mean, less yeah. than that, probably. Yeah, I, I remember I remember uh, a replay of one of the skits there, um, Elton John doing Crocodile oh, yeah. Rock with crocodiles like swimming around under at his under under his feet yep with the electric yeah. man john i mean with just elton john's style was it just it makes it perfect for him to be oh yeah on the muppet show he was out there you know like he, he was like a human muppet yeah or another great one is um alice cooper it was another great episode and at one point he's singing this like love duet with this creepy beaked monster thing and then at the very end of the song you realize that the monster thing is Miss Piggy and that it's, she's been turned into some this monster by an evil spell or something. And she didn't realize 
what she looked like until the very end, and then she freaks out. Oh my gosh, turn me back! Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was funny. The absurdity of the Muppets works across a variety of genres, and I think that's what's so in um, lasting about the Muppets is that you can put them in all these different situations, and they can make things better. And they're not a direct competition, really, for a lot of other things. It's its own unique thing mm-hmm. that is both it comments on the original source material while also doing something completely brand new and different with it. And it's all, it's quite frequently a fresh, unique take. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a show kind of like the Muppets, but with humans was the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. Yep. With Tim, Tim Conway and Lyle Wagoner and uh, Harvey Corman and uh, Mickey Lawrence on there. Mm -hmm. They were nuts. The time when she came down the stairway with a with a with the drape with the shoulder, uh, with the uh, curtain rod through her shoulders as the shoulder pads, I just and, saw it in the window. I had to throw it on. Yeah, and, and I love how much like we we commented on this before because we talked about some of our favorite sketches from TV. Yeah, and uh, I brought up the dentist sketch, and that that's such a top tier sketch. And what's so good about uh, Carol Burnett show is just these phenomenal actors. And what's funny to watch Tim do is how he's constantly trying to get Harvey to break. That's yes. like, it feels like that's his entire reason for being on that show is if I can get Harvey to break, it's a successful show for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, and, the, and the one time they had on uh, Carol Burnett, she was singing a song or something. There was a horse in the background and the horse starts peeing in the middle of her song. <laughs> And they have to go over there with a bucket to try and catch it all <laughs> in the background behind her song. It's kind of a Carol Burnett reunion, though. In the early 2000s, there was that show, Yes, Dear, about the family. And one of the characters' uh, uh, parents, like the grandparents, would come to visit every now and then. It was Vicki Lawrence and Tim Conway. And the, uh, one of the jokes they threw in, which I think was just like, I could see this being like a Carol Burnett-type irreverent joke, was... Um, the grandparents show in in front of everybody. He's like, yeah, we, we joined the Mile High Club. He's like, what are you talking about? Oh, oh no, he means the frequent flyer miles. It is like that kind of show. <laughs> yeah. Also, Carol, Carol Burnett was also on the Muppet Show. And all I remember about that episode was there was like a dance marathon and she was dancing with Animal. <laughs> it's just like something she would have done on her show. Yeah. With real animals. Yeah. Not Muppets. The the 70s, I feel like, were just the height of these sketch comedy shows. Because, like, we had these yeah. variety shows in the 60s and 50s before that. And the evolution of a variety show turns into these sketch comedy shows that are really good and really lasting. I loved, I loved Monty Python's Flying Circus, which debuted in 1969. And so in the early 70s, we got to see Monty Python. We got to see these guys that you know, a lot of people, they think of Monty Python, they think of Holy Grail, which is a great connection to make because that's a fantastic movie. Yeah. But their their flying circus was so funny and they were just so out there. They were real life Muppets, really. They're oh, real yeah. life British Muppets just being completely absurd and nonsensical and coming up with ideas that are like, where else can you find this on TV? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then while we're talking about Muppet Jason, also we talked we talked about it briefly last time, but I mean Sesame Street started November of '69, so I mean it's yeah. I was just gonna bring that up. Yeah, but it's it's really '70s, and like those early Sesame Street, I mean, it's definitely a different feel than what it is today. Like, it really felt more oh, yeah. like you're stepping into like an urban 
um, neighborhood that just happens to have a grouch and a giant bird and Ernie and Bert living on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. You yes. got diversity whether you wanted it or not. Exactly. And that was controversial at the time. Yes. Yeah. And we we brought this up when we talked about the 60s. So we didn't talk too much about it. But between um, Mr. Rogers neighborhood and Sesame Street, we got some peak children's entertainment out of this era. And, and I guess Muppets would also include that, even though Muppets is a family show more than it is just for a kid's show. Thank you for um, that distinction. Yes. You're Go welcome. Ahead. And so like. But Rogers Neighborhood and Sesame Street were also helping kids walk through these heavy concepts of the 70s. The, the same things that adults were looking at with the 70s and like questioning that they were also saying, well, we got to also make sure to take care of our kids. And they're going to have the same questions as these adults have. And so Mr. Rogers Neighborhood did a really good job of not talking down to the kids mm-hmm. and to address these heavier concepts. And Sesame Street did a really good job of contextualizing these concepts for the kids in a way that it was complimentary with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah, yeah you know, though, um, um, Sesame Street was like everywhere. It was predominant in the 70s. And it was like a school class. Yep. And, you know, now you hardly ever hear about it. You hardly ever see it. Yeah, it's on, but, you know, you know, no one cares about it uh, for the most part. But you wonder with this, the following test scores, even before the pandemic, with the following test scores, they don't have that extra class of Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not, but it's not nearly the same as it, as it used to be. And early on, Sesame Street, they, they were, it was contextualizing being just, the street scenes were just going to be humans, and then they would cut away to the the puppet scenes. And they were finding that test audiences were kind of tuning out when it was on the street. And that's when they brought in Carol Spinney, because his two main characters were designed to be able to interact with the adults. Because, you know, you got Big Bird, who's a full body character, can walk around with them. And then you got Oscar the Grouch, whose trash can is fixed right there on the street, which is why he wasn't listed as a Muppet performer. He was listed with the cast, along with Mr. Hooper and Bob and all them. Mm-hmm. I you learn something new every there you go that's what I learned today yeah is that that piece of uh trivia there yeah the, so those are great shows um also kids programming not educational but this the 70s had some really good kids programming too we we mentioned it briefly in the last one because in 1969 we saw Scooby-Doo and that mm-hmm. was the premiere of that show but 1970s of course is really when it's in its heyday um, yeah. and so we got a lot of great and I love Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo is one of those shows too that it's like you still see new content today even though yeah. apparently the Velma series sucked and I believe it um, yeah and, and, and you look at, 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 at Scooby-Doo and how could they make um, a hero out of a uh, pot smoking sidekick and his dog. Yeah. <laughs> of course, they never showed that, but, talked about it, but it was there. And those are the characters that you love, too. Like those two in Velma, everyone loved, but people, you know, you got Daphne and Fred who are like the popular ones and people are like, all right, they're just there. So, yeah. so dad, when, when, uh, when Sesame Street started, you were almost, you were almost 14 when that's when that, when, or when, or when Scooby-Doo started, were you already aged out or were you still at a good age to watch it? I, I watched, I watched a lot of them. They had a couple different themes, theme songs there, but yeah, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it, it got a little hokey, you know, they always had, a, uh, uh, they always put themselves in situation where there's a creepy guy wearing a mask in a haunted house or an abandoned amusement park or something like that. 
I saw a clip from I think it's a, a, a some modern version of Scooby Doo, and they 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 make a really meta joke, which was funny. And Daphne and and uh, Velma are getting mad at Shaggy and Scooby. You didn't pack the luggage. We're already this far away from home. And then Shaggy goes, well, "What does it matter? We wear the same clothes every day, anyways." And then Fred just looks over. Well, he's got a point. <laughs> you know, you know what I miss. Can't break character. You can't break character. Oh yeah, uh, you you know it's the other one that I missed too when we were talking about educational entertainment was Schoolhouse Rock. Oh yeah, oh yes, that debuted in nineteen seventy three, and that went the, the demise of the Saturday morning cartoons meant the yeah. demise of Schoolhouse Rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember there is the how does a bill become a law and the conjunction junction what's your function? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are definitely the ones that, that pop up for me too. There, there is also a number of like these early um, cartoons as well, like <laughs> and even things that like got parodied, like C Lab Twenty Twenty, like that became C Lab Twenty Twenty One later as a parody. But I remember like Jabberjaw. I remember Joshi and the Pussycats. I remember uh, was Speed Racer during this time too. Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. Oh no. But yeah, there's this block too, even on um, TV that like Cartoon Network when I in the 90s, or it's like these classic TVs uh, shows. And there was a number of these that were like straight out of the 70s. Speed Racer is 1967, but we're straight out of the 60s and 70s. And so there's, we've kind of covered that with like our classic animation. We talked about that, but Mm. worth giving a shout out. So, um, that's kind of all the ones that I had on my list. So, so Dad, being the uh, '70s expert you were around at the time, um, what, what are there sh- any shows that we're missing that we haven't discussed yet that you think are, are important to the decade? Oh, and one more thing. <laughs> you get it? I was just talking about Peter Falk last night, and then I said something about Columbo. Okay, and Angie's like, "Why are you talking about Columbo?" I'm like, "Because Peter Falk is Columbo." So, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know how the ending about Columbo. Oh, he was he was the detective, and he was well, he was the coroner, right? The what was or no? That was Quincy. That was Quincy. He was, yeah, was the coroner, and always discovered something more in, during the autopsy. Columbo was a private detective and wore the trench coat and and all that, and you know, okay. kind of like a yeah. pink pink panther type. Uh, no, no he, he he was he was he knew what he was doing, but he acted like he didn't. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, he so he's played by Peter Falk, the grandfather from Princess Bride. Okay, in the story, and uh, he he definitely was that type. Like um, he he was like Monk, uh, except for not neurotic. Like Monk is neurotic. Yeah. Columbo was very very smart, but he played it close to the chest. So as you're watching in the mystery, you're, there's a lot of like, a, well, what's going on? How's he going to figure it out? But like, you do know that Columbo knows more than he's letting on. And so he'll ask these questions just like, what are you, how are you going to figure this out, Columbo? And then, then the last little like the denouement when he's like giving his whole thing, like he'll end it with, a, oh, and one more thing. And then that's the linchpin that ties the entire mystery together. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. So everyone mm-hmm. waits for that catchphrase in each episode. So yeah. knowing that, I've seen that kind of thing and other stuff. I didn't realize that, that those were probably all homages to Columbo now. Yeah, like yeah. House. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another another one that another show that was good was Taxi. 
And oh, that yeah. was completely character driven. Uh, you had uh, Danny DeVito as Louis De Palma, the, the dispatcher. You had uh, um, Tony Danzi in there. You had uh, was it Christopher Lord, Lloyd? Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd, Doc Brown from the, you know, this is where he started the character really. Yeah. Uh, and Lorraine Nardo, uh, what was her name? Um, was that what's the guy's name? Um, uh, Rhea Perlman. What? Rhea Perlman was she on that? She was in Cheers. No, that, no, she was married to Danny DeVito. She was on Cheers. Um, there's a guy I'm, I'm blanking. Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch in Mary Lou Terry. Yes. Yeah, Judd, Judd Hirsch is in it. Andy Kaufman and Carol Kane. Yes, they were married in that show. Yeah, like you talk about sheer talent, and like you can't not bring up uh, Taxi because it's just loaded with. Well, we just great named actors. a ton of big names, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, and the thing is, and the thing is. I don't know how much of it was, but you got to have a feeling that about half of that show was completely ad lib. Oh, I'm sure a lot of it. They, uh, especially when you got Andy Kaufman in there, who he does, ex- he does what he wants, no matter what he's on, he's going to do it his own way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rhea Perlman actually was on five. I just looked it up though. Rhea Perlman was on five episodes of Taxi. Oh, well, that, that, that that's, you know, Barely recur, <laughs> barely a recurring character. Well, I mean, it helps that she's married to one of the actors in it. So. Yeah, and and I don't believe Danny DeVito was ever on Cheers, but I but I believe he was on set a lot, just visiting. Oh yeah, you you, you think if he was on set, they would have written in a character real quick for him. I'm sure they could have, but I don't. I've seen all of Cheers. I don't remember ever seeing him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it like to me the most fascinating thing about Taxi is uh, actually Andy Kaufman and his whole tie-in with it because of just all the behind-the-scenes stuff of him. Like they had to change his character to give him dissociative identity disorder, like in the third season or something like that, because Andy Kaufman wanted to do these ridiculous things. Like, all right, we'll give you multiple personalities so that you can be the lounge singer guy and you can do like you can do your different personalities on the show. We'll, we'll go ahead and make that work for you. Yeah, it's Andy nice. Kaufman did a very good Elvis impersonation. Yeah. You know, he, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And then he goes into Elvis and it's it's Elvis, you know. <laughs> oh, what what a strange person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, then, then the other show that I wanted to bring up that it, it was it was only one season long, but I absolutely love it because I love John Cleese. Was a show called Faulty Towers. It was after Monty Python Flying Circus was done. It's a British show. Uh, he is a John. Cle- he's a pompous, stuck up owner of a hotel, a little bed and breakfast type hotel, and um, you know there's only like six or seven episodes of it, but it was like. Every episode was him getting his comeuppance by treating everyone like trash and it just coming back and backfiring on him. But of course, to the customers, he was like the suck up, brown nosy, whatever. And so the whole each episode was just him trying to hold everything together at this bed and breakfast. And a lot of times the problems were because of things that he did. But the best episode, the episode that I always will suggest to people is the one with uh, I think it's called the Germans. But there's an episode where like uh, uh, some Germans are coming to stay at his place and he keeps being like, don't 
mention the war. And so, like, that's his whole thing through it. But then he gets a concussion, and he's completely off and everything. And so then he's trying to give them great customer service, but he also is you know concussed. So he's out there, like, taking their order at their restaurant and then he says something about world war ii and they keep and then when he comes back out to the other cast member uh, the other people at the hotel he's like i think i may have said something about the war but i maybe got away with it and so like the whole episode is hilarious of him just being stupid and concussed it's a great show i enjoyed it a lot but that episode is one of my favorite from there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure I haven't seen much of Faulty Towers. I've I've heard about it. All I know is John Cleese, and I'm usually on board for anything John Cleese is in. Yeah, it's it's only like six episodes, and they're thirty minutes. So I mean, it's it's an easy watch if you can find where it's streaming. Is it streaming yeah. anywhere? Uh, who knows? I can look it up while while we're going. Yeah. So that's all I got. Yeah. Yeah, that's about all I got too. We've we've covered we've covered a lot. I think we've covered all the big hitters, and of course, there's always going to be some stuff that we're missing. So, I mean, listeners, if we if we're if you're screaming at your your podcast right now and you're thinking you didn't talk about this show, well, email us and let us know. It's ten years worth of shows, so I know there's going to be a, a some that we missed. So yeah, yeah. and then and, uh, and, and and we talked about all the characters on the show. There's got to be some duplication, you know, a show that's similar to one that we mentioned that. We just didn't mention. Oh yeah, sorry. Like Flip Flip Wilson show. I love Crayola Burnett, but I also love Flip Wilson. There is a yeah, lot of Sanford and Son. There you go. Yeah, and we brought up the Jeffersons, but we didn't actually talk about the show itself. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that is it for this. Uh, we're going to jump into trivia here. So last week we talked about The Office. We talked about the episode Dinner Party. So if you haven't listened to that episode, that was a really good episode. Make sure you go listen to it, especially if you liked that show. Um, and if you're like, hey, I've, it's been a while since I've seen Dinner Party, go watch that episode and then listen to our episode where we talk about that episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be like an in- episode inception. It'll be fun. If you really want to be cool, bring your laptop into, into an Applebee's and watch it <laughs> there. That's what cool kids do, and what we or, did too, because we're awesome. Yeah, Applebee's are one of the coffee shops. Well, last, last week Matt and I actually went um, before we recorded. We went to Applebee's, and I thought we were going to eat at Applebee's, then go back and watch it, the episode afterwards. But Matt brought his laptop into the restaurant. And he's like, "We're going to watch it now." That's what cool kids do. <laughs> I guess <laughs> All so. Right. All right. So we we mentioned in the trivia last week that um, B.J. Novak, who is one of the writers, and more importantly Howard or Ryan, Howard Ryan Howard on the show, uh, he was at a party and it was introduced to a politician. And the politician he asked the politician, "What's your favorite scene on The Office?" And this politician said, "Oh, in dinner party when they're doing the tour through the house and they go into the bedroom. That's my favorite scene." And so he asked, who was that politician that that's their favorite scene from the office? And it is Senator John McCain. Mm. So if you needed to know what Senator John McCain's favorite scene was from the office, now you know. And Brian, you said you had trivia. I also thought of trivia, too. So, I mean, we can maybe do two if we want to. All right. Well, we talked about the Brady Bunch. And aside from the actual Brady Bunch, they also did the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, which is basically just the cast of Brady Bunch singing and, and stuff. And all but one of the cast members of the Brady Bunch uh, continued on into the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. One character had to be recast because that actor or actress did not want to uh, come back for it. So who was the, what character was replaced for the Brady Bunch Variety Hour? Tiger the dog. Yep. No, I think it was Mike, uh, Mike Brady. 
Uh, no, it wasn't. I'll give you clear. It wasn't Mike Brady, but actually, so we don't give the answers here. We uh, give the answers in the oh. next one. Oh, we're gonna give them. We're get, we're getting we'll, them now. We'll tell. We'll tell. We'll, we'll tell you after we after we're done with the, the recording. But yeah, so there's your hint. It's not. It's not Mike Brady. All right. I think Don knows the answer to my tri- my trivia question. I think okay. he'll know the answer. So we talked about Gary Marshall with uh, Happy Days and his sister Penny Marshall. She was the first female director to direct a movie that made over a hundred million dollars in the blockbuster. And so, Ooh. what was the name of that movie that she directed to be the first female directed blockbuster? I don't know that one. I don't know that one. Ooh, look at that. It's a good one. All right. Well, that is it. So very glad that we had Brian. Glad to have your dad here. Don, it was good to have you here. Thanks mm-hmm. for joining us. Um, and if for everyone out there who's like, hey, it was really cool to hear from Brian's dad or it was really cool to hear from Matt's dad, let us know and we can maybe bring him back for something else. And uh, until next time, I'm Matt. I'm Brian. And I'm Don. And we're reminding you to stay tuned and keep watching.